Christchurch, New Morgan, Sunday the 24th of October 2021, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, How the Bible Presents the Church, the Spirit of God. Well, over the last 18 months, <coughs> there's one thing that we've got very used to, and that is the idea of this thing, ventilation, being important, haven't we? In the early days of coronavirus, we weren't really quite sure what the most important steps were that we needed to combat it. But as time has gone on, and particularly now, the experts tell us really with one voice that ventilation, the letting in of fresh air, is a crucial part of blowing away that virus and therefore reducing infections. That's why, and I think it's open, we've got that door open down at the southeast corner of the church. That's why in our children's rooms at the moment, the windows will be open, even though winter is soon upon us. <clears throat> but of course, people have known the benefits of fresh air for a lot longer than COVID. Prior to a lot of the medical treatments that we now take for granted, not to mention things like the Clean Air Act, Doctors would quite often prescribe for those who could afford it time by the seaside so that that sea air could aid people's recovery. And the benefits of fresh air are such that it's become quite a well-known metaphor. Someone arrives in a new place, it might be a workplace, it might be a school or something like that, they make an immediate impact and quite often they're described as a breath of fresh air, aren't they? with the sense that through their presence, the sort of metaphorical dust within that organisation is being blown away. Now, in the light of all of that, it's not surprising that one of the most powerful metaphors that the Bible uses for God's Holy Spirit is this metaphor of a mighty wind, a mighty burst of fresh air breathing God's life into his people and therefore transforming them. That's what we saw in that reading that was read a few moments ago from Acts chapter 2 about the day of Pentecost. We heard there about the sound like blowing like a mighty wind which came from heaven and filled the entire house in which they were sitting. Now there are other metaphors in that story as well, most obviously that of the spirit being like tongues of fire resting on the disciples. But the word that's used for God's spirit, the Greek word pneuma, literally means God's breath. And it's far from its first use in the Bible. The equivalent of pneuma, the Greek word for spirit in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew word ruach, and we find it used a number of times. Starting with the Bible's account of creation, where we hear that the spirit of God hovers over the waters of chaos and then brings God's order to it in the account of creation that follows. But then in later parts of the Old Testament, we get the spirit of the Lord, as it's described, coming upon Israel's leaders, people like Gideon, people like Samson, people like David. God raises up these people to rescue Israel from their enemies. But there's a problem in the Old Testament, which is that God's spirit, God's breath, that brings his power, it only comes upon Israel's leaders and then for only a certain period of time. Once the task that's needed God's Spirit to come has been accomplished, God's Spirit 
then disappears. And that's part of the reason why the Old Testament is such a depressing cycle of sin and disobedience on the part of God's people. They get rescued by God, by a saviour, a rescuer that God sends, full of his spirit. But fairly soon, things return to being bad, as bad as they were before. But towards the end of the Old Testament, in the prophets, we get a promise that that will one day change. The day will come when God's spirit will come upon all of his people and remain with them rather than departing. And one of the most famous of these prophecies, and it was quoted in the passage that John read to us earlier, is from the prophet Joel. And this is what the prophet Joel says. And afterwards I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Now notice the emphasis in those words. Most of the leaders in the Old Testament were adult men. Not all of them, but most of them. But here it's emphasised that God's spirit will come on all flesh. Women as much as men and young as much as old. And another passage that really pictures this is Ezekiel 37. Now this is a passage made famous by that song, Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem Dry Bones. And it's a passage that pictures a valley full of skeletons, of dry bones, before God's breath then breathes in to those skeletons, into those bones, and makes them come to life. And it's a picture, a very vivid picture, of God's coming rescue and transformation. And that is what happened on that day known as the day of Pentecost. And ever since, God's spirit, God's breath, God's fresh air being poured out to bring his life and transformation into his world through his church. But before we go on and think about how this possession of the spirit should show itself in church life, I do need to make it clear that the Bible never presents the Holy Spirit as identical with the church. God's spirit is sovereign and independent. And as Jesus says in John's gospel, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's from. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. God's Holy Spirit can and does do sometimes things, amazing things, completely independently from the church. But the Spirit is nonetheless given to the church. And he is meant to transform us rather like a breath, a supernatural breath of fresh air. And that's because the Spirit's task is to bring the supernatural life of heaven to earth. Now that's what Jesus did during his earthly ministry, didn't he? When we think of all those amazing things that Jesus did, the whole rationale beneath those things is that Jesus was bringing the power of heaven to earth, the transforming life of heaven to the earth. But once Jesus ascends into heaven, that's not really about his absence, it's about his presence being able to be everywhere because the Bible presents heaven as the control center for earth. So Jesus ascends into heaven, and that enables God's Holy Spirit to then come upon everyone 
who belongs to Jesus in his church, to both experience the Holy Spirit and, crucially, to be a channel of that Spirit coming to the world. So if this church, if Christ Church New Morden, is full of God's Holy Spirit, what will this look like? Well, there's lots of things, but I'm going to just pick out three particular ones this morning, and here's the first. If this church is full of God's Holy Spirit, we'll be a church more and more deeply joined to Jesus. Now, the Bible is very clear that everyone who's a Christian, everyone who says Jesus is Lord and I want to follow him, possesses God's Spirit. Makes it clear you can't say that and, and mean it without God's Spirit. It makes it clear that we can't become a Christian without God's Holy Spirit bringing that about in our lives as well. But it also exhorts us to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It tells us to keep in step with the Spirit. And it uses other expressions to make it clear that being filled with God's Spirit must be an ongoing process. It must be continuous. And a key part of that continuous process is the way that the Holy Spirit will develop our relationship with Jesus. Any relationship, when you think about it, needs to be growing to stay alive, doesn't it? No relationship just stands still. It's either going backwards or it's going forwards. And the Holy Spirit is the one who develops our relationship with Jesus. How does he do that? Well, he does it as we listen to talks, hopefully, here in church but also as, if we have the opportunity to, we discuss the Bible and our Christian lives with other Christians, maybe in a home group, and crucially, as we pray, whether that is by ourselves or with other Christians. And I guess the challenge for every single one of us this morning is do we really want that? Do we want a closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ? that relationship that the Holy Spirit wants and promises to give us. I mentioned home groups just a minute ago. What are home groups? Well, we've got a number of them here at Christchurch, and they're small groups of members of Christchurch who gather together to do several things. They read the Bible together, they discuss it, they pray for and support one another. We've got various ones. A lot of them meet in the evenings. Uh, if you're a member of Connections, which uh, Heather leads, which is uh, a group for women who want to study the Bible. Uh, there's a whole uh, set of Bible study groups that take place uh, on a Wednesday. And they're sort of home groups, but not at home, in a way. Uh, they're here at church discussing the Bible, but doing all those things that home groups do. Now, do speak to me if you're interested in joining such a group. It can be a little bit intimidating uh, beforehand, but what you find is that everyone is just sort of in the same situation as you, and uh, a lot of people at this church uh, say that their faith has really grown, the reality of their faith has grown because of overwhelmingly belonging to a home group. And one of the symptoms of this growth that the Holy Spirit promises to bring us is a deep assurance that we really do belong to God. This is all part of developing our relationship with Jesus. When we pray, we're promised that somehow, in a strange way, God's Spirit within us is praying alongside us. And what this very often brings home to people is a much deeper sense that they really do belong to God 
as his precious sons and daughters. That status of belonging to God as his son or his daughter, that's declared at our baptism. And that's also when we receive the promise of God's Spirit. But it's as we continue to allow the Holy Spirit to develop our relationship with God through Jesus, that that truth about who we are in God starts to really take deep roots within us. To get back to that picture of ventilation, we need to open the window, as it were, and allow the fresh air of God's Spirit to blow away all those harmful germs that tell us, for instance, that we're not good enough for God, that we're a failure, and that's how God sees us, and so on. And just like a parent wanting their child to be secure that they totally belong to them, the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we know in our very bones that we belong to God as his precious sons and daughters. And God wants us to receive all the liberation that comes from that. You see, it's possible to have been a Christian for many years without the deep and liberating message getting through to us that we are God's precious son or daughter. And that's what God wants for every single one of us. So again, the challenge is to allow the Holy Spirit to bring that into our lives. That message deep down into our hearts. And as this happens, it will change us as individuals and as a church because we'll be a church, this is my second point, growing in holiness and unity. Now, holiness, for a lot of people, is a rather unattractive idea, isn't it? It conjures up images of people being rather humourless and against fun and enjoyment. Apologies to this bloke, whoever he is. I just Googled grumpy man, and this came up. So somewhere in the world, this poor guy doesn't realise he's being used as an illustration. Hopefully he put the face on, so he won't mind too much. But that's not what holiness is at all. That is a distortion of holiness. Holiness is about regarding our lives as set apart for the God who created us and loves us to bits. Why? So those lives can have the fullness that God wants them to have. Now, it does involve holiness, deciding not to do certain things, because the Holy Spirit brings home to us that those things won't bring us the life that they appear to be promised. And that has got definite implications for our honesty for our use of money, for our work, for our relationships, and yes, our sex lives. But it's much better to understand holiness positively. That holiness is the Holy Spirit leading us into that liberation where God shapes and moulds us into the person that he always made us to be. That God makes us into that person that is the fulfilment of that potential that he gave us, the unique stuff that he gave us when he created us. But this doesn't happen individually, because another decisive work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us into greater unity with one another as the church. See, if the Holy Spirit brings us a deep assurance that we're precious sons and daughters of God, then he also simultaneously brings us the growing realisation that we're brothers and sisters within the church as well, with all that that should mean. 
Every now and again in EastEnders, uh, you get a situation normally where someone like Phil Mitchell is really annoyed with his brother, sister or cousins, but he acts nonetheless to rescue them because of something summed up in this phrase that he will often use. Phil Mitchell will sometimes say, is family in it? And believe it or not, that is actually quite a good illustration of how the Holy Spirit leads us into unity within this church. We're all very different. We can disagree really strongly. We can even be really annoyed with one another. But the Holy Spirit at that point, rather like Phil Mitchell, will be saying to us that we've nevertheless got to love one another as brothers and sisters because it's family, innit? That is the way that we're meant to regard one another. When a member of our family really annoys us or winds us up, hopefully we don't get to the stage of cutting them off completely. It can happen, sadly. But that's because family really matters. That bond is there. And we're meant to have such a strong sense that we're brothers and sisters of the God who's made us his precious children that we have that same attitude that whatever other people have done, however much they might annoy us or frustrate us or even act really badly towards us, that we're family together. So we're going to remember this phrase. In fact, I'm going to say one, two, three, and I want you to say in your Phil Mitchell voice, it's family, isn't it? One, two, three. <laughs> okay, we've got to work on that. And in this case, what will the Holy Spirit be doing? Well, the fresh air, the breath of God, will be blowing away the tribalism that so often divides this world and replacing it with a life-giving unity that brings hope to a fractured world. It brings hope because if the church can demonstrate that we are for everyone, everyone without uh, exception, welcomed as precious brothers and sisters, then people will far more easily believe that God himself is for everyone, that everyone is invited to be his precious sons and daughters. The church is God's visual aid. We need to demonstrate that we accept everyone as brothers and sisters and then people might, just might believe that God does the same, that God welcomes anyone and everyone to be his precious sons and daughters. But once again, to get back to that illustration I'm using this morning, the challenge is whether we're prepared to open that window. Are we prepared to open the window to let that fresh air of God's Spirit come in and blow away those old tribal attitudes? The really vital question is whether we want to be brothers and sisters with those who are different from us. Or are we happier to stay separate from them? Are we much happier to just stick with people like us? Plues, people like us, I think is the expression. Or are we really grabbed by this vision of actually, this exciting vision of being a community that is genuinely for everyone? that will welcome everyone without exception as brothers and sisters because God welcomes everyone without exception to be sons and daughters of him. It's all really about whether we want to change in this regard because if we do want to change, the Holy Spirit will then be allowed to lead us to that place. And it really will transform this church and it really will transform our witness. 
Because there are stacks of lonely people out there. There are stacks of people out there that don't think anyone loves them. And they don't very often think the church wants them. And if we can bust that myth, or that reality, which it often is, and welcome as many people as possible, and show that they can be fully incorporated as our brothers and sisters, then that will be the most powerful witness possible to the reality of God, and that is part of what the Holy Spirit is given to help us bring about. And it links to a final mark of the presence of the Holy Spirit at this church, which will be, will be a church equipped for God's work. Now, a few weeks ago, I spoke quite a lot about this when we thought about the church as the body of Christ. It was the Sunday when little Faye there, who's bouncing around, was baptised. And I spoke about the fact that she was becoming a member of the body of Christ and equipped for ministry within it. And I mentioned on an occasion that through the Holy Spirit, God gives to everyone who belongs to him gifts. He doesn't give gifts to some and not to others. We're promised that God gives gifts to everyone who belongs to him to build up the church for two reasons. One, in terms of our ministry to one another, but also in terms of our mission to the world. Now, I spoke a lot about that a few weeks ago, so I won't repeat that now. But perhaps the crucial thing to reflect on this morning is the way that that famous passage about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 it's followed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 by that famous passage that's often read at weddings about the importance of love. The gifts of the Spirit spoken about in 1 Corinthians 12 are really important. But the most important marks of the Holy Spirit, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, are faith, hope, and supremely love. And the reason for that is because it's faith, hope, and love that more than anything are the Holy Spirit bringing the life of heaven to earth. And Paul makes this amazing point, which is really quite hard to believe, but it's what he's saying, which is that because those things are eternal, the life of heaven, unlike the life of earth, isn't transitory and passing, it's eternal. Because the life of heaven is eternal, and because faith, hope, and love, the actions that embody those things, are eternal rather than earthly, they will somehow never pass away. Paul says that the most amazing gifts of the Holy Spirit will ultimately pass away. They'll ultimately be no more. But, he says, acts of faith, hope, and supremely love, they're building something that's going to last forever. They are here to stay. And that's a reminder of what the Holy Spirit in the church is all about. God in and through Jesus Christ has promised us a wonderful future in his new creation. But the task of the Holy Spirit is to bring some of that future into the present as a sort of a down payment or a first instalment of that future that we're promised. Why does God do that? Why does God give us the Holy Spirit? Well, it's so that through our holiness and our unity, the surrounding world, as I said earlier, will see a people growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and that will bring them hope. It's when people see tangible signs of the reality of God that they're given hope. 
And as anyone trying to help someone who's in a dire situation will know, it's when people receive hope that it transforms the situation because their motivation becomes completely different from if they've got little or no hope at all. And the Holy Spirit is given so that the church can be a sign, a genuine, tangible, real sign of that future that God promises to those who belong to him. But if that's going to happen, then the church, and that's me, and that's you, and that's all of us together, we've got to be willing about the Holy Spirit changing us. We've got to actively want the Holy Spirit to change us and to mould us more and more into a people, singular and plural, that start becoming more and more the people that God made us to be. So to go back for one last time to that illustration of ventilation, are we prepared to open the window of our lives a bit further? To open the windows of this church a bit further in metaphorical terms and to let more of God's Holy Spirit, God's breath of fresh air, transform both our lives and the lives of this church. Amen.